0: Well welcome everybody, everybody have a good weekend so far, beautiful day out yesterday, great evening, got to take a walk in the evening, just really enjoyed hanging out a little bit and enjoying the uh, surprisingly low humidity last night. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's Clay, I'm one of the pastors here and I would love to meet you after the service, come on up, I usually hang out up front here uh, after the service and I'd love to get to know you better and uh, find out more about what's going on in your life. So if you uh, have not been around Renaissance much before, if you're not, if, if we've never really met, if you don't know me, you may not know I spent a number of years, about 13 years, as a uh, chaplain about an hour away at Princeton University. And I got to meet all sorts of different uh, people from literally from all over the world. It was a lot of fun, challenging to, to interact with people from different cultures, but really intriguing as well as I found out uh, some of what life was like for them growing up in different countries and one guy who has become one of my closest friends over the year grew up uh, over the years grew up in a very high caste uh, Hindu family in India and he came to the United States to literally study rocket science and he was doing his PhD work at Princeton and he actually designed a rocket engine to fly to Mars i don't know if they'll be using it on the Mars mission that's supposed to be coming up sometime in the next 150 years or so. But uh, anyway, he was a really, really amazing guy and I enjoyed getting to know him. But if you're at all familiar with Hinduism, you know it's got this concept of karma, which is kind of like what we talk about is what goes around comes around except it's on steroids. You know, you have to do everything exactly the right way. If you step on a bug, it's gonna mess with your next life, you know? and so. Uh, from his perspective, this idea of karma that he had to do good in this life in order to experience a good life in the next life, it was crushing for him. And he actually came to the point where he was in within just a few minutes of taking his own life because he realized, I just can't do it. I can't live up to the standards that my parents have for me, that my graduate school program has for me, and ultimately that my religion has for me, I can never be good enough. And so he was just ready to say, forget it, you know, and, and end his life. Uh, but at that point, he remembered a friend who had invited him to go to church. And he said, all right, I'm just gonna give it one last chance, one last opportunity, and he decided not to take his life called his friends, said, I want to go to church with you, and over a period of a number of different months, he came to the point where he put his trust in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he found freedom from this oppressive, crushing concept of karma, and from the idea that the only way that he could have a better life was to work harder and harder and harder. And today, uh, he's a professor, uh, a professor of physics. He's helping other people to grow in their relationship with God, and his life has really been transformed. But as I was thinking about my friend and the the Hinduism, the karma that, that he had to deal with, I realized that so many of us as Christians live almost in the same way. We have this idea, this feeling, this impression that what we do determines how good our life is going to be. And ultimately, that how well we live our lives determines what kind of a relationship that we're going to have with God. And so it's got that same kind of oppressive, crushing nature as a Hindu karma can have. And so it's a challenge for a lot of people because we feel like our relationship with God depends on how good we are. And you look at at statements that you see in the Bible, and sometimes they seem to reinforce this idea. Take a look at this one that comes from a letter that uh, the Apostle Peter wrote. He says, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. It's referring to God saying, be holy because I'm holy, and this command to be holy is actually repeated a number of different times throughout the Bible, and so if we take it in isolation, we've got this idea that in order to have a right relationship with God, we have to be holy, and if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know we've talked about this concept of holiness, which means being set apart, and a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how God is holy. He is set apart. He's in a category of by himself. He is completely other, completely different than all of his creation. And when we move that into what we might call the moral realm, when God tells us to be holy, when he tells us to be set apart, he's saying we're to be set apart from sin. We're to be set apart from evil. We are to be set apart to do good, to be like him in terms of his moral character. But when you think about God's moral character, you realize that God is always good. He's morally perfect. And so when he says, be holy because I am holy or be holy like I am holy, he's essentially saying, you have to exhibit my moral character. You have to be as good as I am. And when taken in isolation, that's easily as oppressive as this concept of karma. Because if we're honest with ourselves, it's impossible. No matter how hard we try, we always fall short. We can never be good enough. And so there's always this nagging feeling that I'm not measuring up to who God wants us to be. And we respond to, to this idea, to this, this concept of, of trying to be as good as we can in a number of different ways. And a lot of us, especially in this area, the first thing we do is we try harder, right? We're used, we're used to succeeding. We work hard, we play hard, we practice hard, we take lessons so that we can improve in our sports, we go to seminars and conferences at work, we study hard in school, we do all these things in order to improve, in order to try to meet the standard. And we do the same thing in our relationships with god we read books we listen to motivational speakers we gather accountability partners in small groups and we try as hard as we can to live the lives that god wants us to have that god wants us to live and so that's true for a lot of us but then the problem is that if we're honest with ourselves we end up feeling guilty because we know we don't measure up yes we do improve our lives yes we do overcome some bad habits, at least to some extent. And yes, we do grow, we become better people to some extent. But if we're honest with ourselves, we always fall short. We never quite measure up to the standards that we have for ourselves and so we feel guilty and you know if you're from a Catholic background you refer to Catholic guilt and if you're from a Baptist background you refer to Baptist guilt you know guilt and the Presbyterians do guilt very well and the Methodists do guilt very well essentially every strain of Christianity that there is does guilt very very well and it becomes oppressive and it becomes a problem for us so what do we do? Well, a lot of us, if we're honest, lower the standard. You know, we tell ourselves, God knows that I'm flawed. He knows that I'm imperfect. He knows that I'll never measure up. So he doesn't really expect me to be perfect. It's okay if I mess up, if I fail from time to time. And then I look at the people around me, and I find somebody who isn't doing it as well as I'm doing, who doesn't measure up as well as I feel like I'm measuring up. And I, I, I view myself maybe as better than the average person. And as long as I'm better than the average person, hopefully I'm okay with God and I can feel better about myself. Of course, I gotta be careful because if I do that too much, I end up kind of like the church lady from Saturday Night Live, you know, who's condemning everybody and who's got always got this sour look on her face. And then I look at her and I feel that, I'm morally superior to her because I don't condemn other people the way that she does. And it becomes this this vicious cycle. And then some of us go in completely the opposite direction. We say, you know what, why even bother trying if I can't be perfect? If I'm not going to be able to win the game, I might as well not even try to play. And so I give up, I stop trying. And some people end up like my friend, just in a self-destructive mode. Most of us probably don't end up there, but all of us at some point in our lives recognize that we fall short, we feel guilty, and we wonder like, am I ever gonna be able to measure up and earn God's favor? Because no matter how hard I try, it doesn't work. And even if I walk away, I know that's not the answer. So I'm in this impossible situation. God says, be holy. And if I'm honest with myself, I can't be holy. So what am I going to do about it? The Apostle Paul, one of the leaders in the early church, wrote a letter to some Christians in the Roman province of Galatia. And he deals with this very question right in the middle of the letter in Galatians chapter 3. And I want to take a look at it. And he uses some pretty strong language here. But I love what he writes because as we... As we cut through it and we understand what he's saying, it actually brings some freedom to us when we realize that, yes, we don't measure up, but we can still have a relationship with God in spite of the fact that we don't always meet the standard that he wants us to meet. Take a look at Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Paul writes, he says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And Paul's being a little bit harsh here. You foolish Galatians, you saw, we told you about Jesus Christ being crucified. I just wanna ask you, how did you start off in your Christian faith? He uses the phrase receiving the spirit and the Galatians would have understood that as, as a fulfillment of the promise that God had made that all who are followers of Jesus have his Holy Spirit living within them. So he's referring to, he's alluding to this concept of, of becoming a Christian, of, of crossing the line of faith, of starting out in the Christian life or, or of getting saved. doesn't really matter exactly how we word it, but there's that concept of beginning our Christian life. And he's he's asking them, he's saying, Hey, did you start off your Christian life by trusting in God, by believing in Him, or did you start off by doing good works? And the expected answer, the answer that he expected them to give, is We started our relationship with God by faith. We know we could never be perfect, so we had to come to God and say, Lord, I'm not perfect. I'm fallen, I'm broken, I'm sinful, and I'll never be good enough to enter into a right relationship with you. So I need your forgiveness. And that's the answer that Paul would have expected the Galatians to give. And so that's the foundation that he lays. And then he builds on it. He says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? He's saying, you know that you couldn't enter into a relationship with God by doing enough good works. You couldn't earn your way into a right relationship with God. You had to have that relationship by faith in what Christ had done for you in his death and in his resurrection and the forgiveness of sins that he's offered to us. So if you began that way, why, he says, why do you think that you can continue on, that you can grow in your Christian life? by doing good works why do you think that faith was the key to entering in but works is the key to continuing on verse 5 so again i asked does god give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you heard so also abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's pointing all the way back to the Old Testament who, to Abraham, who's viewed as the father of faith. And he says Abraham's relationship was God, with God was based not on what he did, but on his faith, on his trust, on his belief in God. And God looked at him and said, Because you believe, I view you as righteous, I view you as holy, I view you as in conformity to the standard of my moral character. Paul continues, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. If you have faith, you're like Abraham, Paul's saying. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. And he said, all nations will be blessed for you, through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. Paul's saying faith is the bottom line in our relationship with God. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Paul's point is we cannot we absolutely cannot rely on our good works. We can't rely on obedience in order to get us into a right relationship with God because if that's what we're relying on, every single one of us absolutely will fall short. And he's saying we have to rely on what Christ has done. We have to trust him. We have to have faith in him and when we do, that's how we start off that's how we embark that's how we begin a right relationship with God that's the foundation Paul is saying of what it means to be a follower of Jesus but then we run into a problem okay we grant that we start off in our relationship with God by faith but he says we need to live holy lives we need to exhibit good behavior We need to have character that's like his character. We think that salvation is the gift of God that's appropriated through faith, but we think that sanctification, which is the theological term that talks about becoming holy, being made holy, growing in our Christian lives. We think that salvation comes by faith, but we think that sanctification comes by our own good works, by trying harder, by human effort. And Paul says, no. We began by faith. We continue by faith. We enter into a relationship with God by faith. We grow in that relationship with God by faith. There's no other option because just as we couldn't ever be good enough to earn favor with God to begin with, we can never be good enough to earn his favor now. We're never going to be able to become holy by our own efforts. Human effort can't save us. Human effort can't make us holy. God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves in order for us to enter into a right relationship with him, and that's the key as well to our growth in holiness. And Paul is not saying that we shouldn't try. Paul is not saying that it shouldn't be our goal to be holy like God is holy paul is not saying that we shouldn't work to improve to grow to become more and more like christ but he is saying that all the human effort in the world is not sufficient it's not going to get us to become more and more like god we need to look to christ we need to trust in him we need to as we were singing raise the white flag and surrender to him depend on him both for our salvation but also for our sanctification, for our growth in holiness. Uh, There was a man, uh, some of you know him as St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo. He lived in the 5th century AD. He puts it this way. He says, grace is not given because we've done good works. It's given in order that we may have power to do them. We need to look to God, turn to him, and say, I don't have what it takes to live the kind of life that you want me to live. Help me, strengthen me, enable me to do what it is that you want me to do. Growth in my faith as a follower of Jesus looks pretty much the same as starting out in my relationship with Christ. When I first become a follower of Jesus, I come to him and I say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm fallen. I'm broken. I don't measure up. Would you please forgive me? I need you. I turn to you and I ask you for forgiveness and I surrender my life to you. That's what we do when we first come to Christ to become a follower of Jesus. The same thing is true in our day-to-day Christian lives. Every day, multiple times throughout the day, as Julie was saying, every hour we need to come to him and say, Jesus, yes, I know I'm your follower, but I still don't measure up. I'm still broken. I still sin. I still fall short. I still need to confess my sins to him and say, would you forgive me? Would you help me to grow? Would you enable me to live the kind of life that you want me to live? I surrender to you again and again and again. I trust you I want to follow you but it's difficult it's a challenge help me to do what I can't otherwise do myself that's the gospel message we talk about the gospel as the good news of what Jesus has done for us in his death and resurrection it is absolutely the key the foundation to entering into a right relationship with God but it is as much the key and the foundation to growing in my relationship with God, as it is to entering into my relationship with God. Whatever God requires of us, whatever God requires of us, he also provides. He requires holiness, and he knows that we can't live up to it. So then rather than demanding that we do the impossible and leaving us to ourselves, leaving us to our own self-effort that'll never be good enough, leaving us to our guilt and our shame our frustration and maybe ultimately giving up he says okay i'm going to provide for you what i require of you and he did that for us in the person of his son jesus christ and that's the amazing thing the amazing thing about the god whom we have he doesn't lower the standard he doesn't say It's no big deal. He says, yeah, it is a big deal. I created you in my image to look like me, and I want you to live up to that standard. But I know that you can't do it, so I'm going to do it for you, and what I want you to do is look to me, trust in me, and I'm going to enable you to grow, to become more and more like my son. That's what he does for us. There's this great passage that uh, Paul wrote in a letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I love, I love the way Paul puts it here. He says, As we look to Jesus. As we look at him, we become more like him. He says we're being transformed into his image. We're not transforming ourselves. We're being transformed by the Spirit of God. We are becoming more and more like Jesus. We are becoming more and more like who God created us to be. And what he says we need to do is look to Jesus. The more time that you spend with somebody, if you're married, the more time that you spend with your spouse, if you've got a really close friend, the more time that you spend with your close friend, the more you become like them. The more you start speaking like them, the more that you like the things that they like, the more that you want to do the things that they want to do, the same thing is true in our relationship with God. The more time that we spend with Him, the more time that we spend contemplating, thinking about, meditating on all the incredible things that God has done for us and the amazing God, who He is, the more we become like Him. And God works that transformation in us. His grace is the source of our holiness. Elsewhere, Paul writes, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. God began that good work when we turned to him and said, Lord, I need you. I don't measure up. Would you forgive me on the basis of what Jesus has done? That's when he began that good work in us. And Paul's saying, I am 100% confident that the one God who began that good work in, in all of us who have put our faith in Jesus. The one who began that good work will carry it out to completion. The rest of our lives, we're gonna be growing in our relationship with God. We're gonna be coming more and more and more holy. And the key to that is surrendering, it's trusting, it's looking to Jesus to do what we're otherwise unable to do. From start to finish, From beginning to end, Christianity is not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done. Christianity is not about my good works. It's about God's grace and his love and his forgiveness from beginning to end, both my salvation and my sanctification. Jesus did what I couldn't do. Jesus did what we couldn't do. And our part is to look to him, to trust in him, and to depend on him. We need to come to him and humbly confess our sins, ask him for forgiveness, ask him to help us to grow, to enable us to live the kind of lives that he wants us to live, to become more and more like him. Ask him to enable us to depend on him and to look to him to do what we're unable to do, for ourselves we don't want to lower the standard we want to hold that standard high we want to recognize that Christ has met that standard for us and as we trust in him he'll enable us to grow and to become more and more and more like himself and so when we ask him to do that I'm confident that that's a prayer that he wants to answer for us let's pray Lord Jesus I thank you I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that we enter into that relationship with you by faith because of what you've done, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but but in spite of the fact that we haven't earned it and that we don't deserve it. And I thank you for that. And Father, I confess that I and so many of us so many times get lost at that point And we feel like then, okay, we've entered into a relationship with you by faith, but we have to continue it by our own effort and that your love for us depends on what we do. But I thank you that that's not the case. I thank you that your love for us depends on what Christ has done, not on what we have done. And so I pray for all of us that we would continually, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, be looking to you, be quick to confess our sins, quick to turn to you, quick to ask for forgiveness and that we would be looking to you eager for you to work in us to make us more and more like yourself so that we can image you and bring glory to you and blessing to others. We pray in Jesus' name.